This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another World of UX Podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thank you for joining me on today. And as always, welcome to first-time listeners. Uh, I promised on last week that we were going to be bringing you a special guest, my first interviewee, celebrating that for the podcast. Uh, I have someone joining me on the podcast today. We tried to do this a couple weeks ago, but yours truly had a um, human error, user error. <laughs> on my part, uh, we had a problem. We were we were at the CXM Best Practices uh, Symposium, and uh, we had a technical glitch that caused us to go out. Long story short, to go to another app, and my settings were incorrect. So I said, "You know what? Hey, Keith, Keith Instone is with me today. Said, Keith, do you mind if we do this again? People have to hear what this guy has to say. I don't care if we have to re- redo it." He said, "Hey, yeah, let's redo it." So here we are. Today, taking an interlude during the show, you want to be a UXer series to bring to you one of the voices of the world of UX uh, in the discipline that we people need to hear a lot of great treasures to share. Uh, I'm just happy and proud to have on my show today, and I'm going to let him introduce himself, Keith Enstone. Thank you for joining me ever so much today, sir, and for redoing this attempt at the interview. Okay, let's introduce yourself to the people, please. Thank you, Darren. Happy to be back. We'll call it iteration two. Uh, every, 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 everything's a, a process that we go on. So yeah, glad to be on your show. Honored to be honored to be a, a, a guest. Uh, so yeah, so my name's Keith Instone. I'm a user experience consultant right now, uh, mostly doing strategic consulting, helping companies figure out how to grow their user experience team, for example. Um, but like you, Darren, I've been in the business for a long time. So uh, probably like 1989 would be when when I really, you know, in my brain, I felt like this was going to be my career, right? You know, up until then, I wasn't quite sure, but um, we, we, we called it a user interface designer at the time, but but it's it's evolved. And so I've had the, the privilege of working with Argus Associates on some of the, you know, help figuring out what information architecture is as, as a discipline. Um, lots of work, uh, spending 10 years with IBM, trying to like how to do things at a massive scale, um, but also lots of little UX projects. And then all along the way, I've always, I've always been excited to be involved in the community, right? So helping organize some of the first ACM SIGCHI conferences when, uh, back, right, back when academics and practitioners hung out together at the same conferences, I was there, Mm -hmm. I was there (laughs) when, when we sort of split and, you know, the practitioners came over here because we had lots of stuff that we had to, to bitch and moan about with each other and the academics were over there and still trying to stay those, keep those two communities connected. Um, and just like exciting things as as new meetups pop up, you know, either here, you know, here in the Michigan area near where we live or elsewhere in the country, a new meetup pops up. Let's go check out the meetup and see what's, you know, what do the meetups, the UX meetups in Malaysia, what do they sort of look like? What are they talking about? How mm-hmm, do they compare mm-hmm. with with what we have here in the Midwest in the U.S.? And, and you know, comparing that to what, you know, what's what's happening on the coast and in the valley and in the big cities. So, so just trying to, you know, be really engaged in the user experience community all around the world and, 
and you know provide some insights into what I see and and sort of share my experience as, as an old timer of like, oh, that, that that's that's pretty cool that this is a new problem for you. Ah, 20 years ago, it was a little bit different, but it was actually the same. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So happy to have you today. And, and there's a statement that I made in our first attempt at this. And I'm going to I said it at the end before I'm going to say it here now. I've always found Keith so inspirational and, and and just always been so happy to see him. You would think he lives in Metro Detroit because he's always here. He's actually down in Toledo, but everything he said, I mean, I see this guy give of himself so much, and we need more of that in the U.S. community. There's a lot of people who give of themselves, but they really, it's like somebody who asks you over for dinner, but their coverage are bare. See, there's a lot of that going on today. This guy has a lot of stuff in his cabinets, and so... Part of us getting together today is people being able to partake of what Keith Enstone has to say. And again, I'm happy to have him. I'm glad that he's the first interviewee uh, on the beginning of many. Uh, we're going to be doing this from time to time, trying to share voices with the U.S. community. So to help expand our horizons, expand our acumen, expand our, our knowledge so we can be better at it. So. Yeah, so invite me over for dinner. I'll bring something. <laughs> right, I'll, I'll I'll bring something. You know, something cooked up with the you know the grandma's special recipe that you never had before. Right. That's fantastic. Let's get into the question. We've got okay. four things and a closing thought that we're going to look at today, and uh, I'll ru- I'll rattle off the four, and then we'll dive into them. We're going to look at the core definition of UX as a phenomenon. We're going to talk about an uh, an article that that Keith wrote for the UX uh, the CX of M blog about users as customers. We're going to talk about different spins on UX broadly, all the ways people are talking confusingly about UX today. And then our fourth topic is going to be about, as he just mentioned, is going to delve into a little deeper communities for UX aficionados, practitioners, professionals such as the Michigan UXPA, things of that nature. So this is going to be our agenda for today, and then we'll have some closing thoughts. But let's dive in on number one, the core definition of UX as a phenomenon. I'll throw these topics over the wall. Keith will take them and run. All right? Let's go. Cool. Cool. Thanks, Darren. So, yeah, so as I've been, again, talking with folks in lots of different contexts, Facebook groups, going to meetups, lots of different ways to talk about user experience, but most folks – tend to gloss over what I would call the core definition, which there's actually an ISO standard for. And I would sort of summarize it as a user experience is an impression that someone has when they interact with a system, right? So that system could be a website, it could be an app, it could be even something more face-to-face. But, you know, the psychology is when people interact with something, they, they form an impression of it, right? Some of it could be just what they remember about it. Some of it could be what they expect. But this this impression that you have when you do things, that sort of gets codified in, you know, this, this sort of use of the term user experience. We now have this thing that we can sort of grasp. It's definitely a fuzzy thing. But now that we have that, and what I find is that... Uh, people inside organizations aren't talking about this part of user experience, right? They get bogged down in, is this, you know, what is my user experience job? Am I going to do usability testing or am I, you know, do I have 
Uh, am I going to follow the design thinking methodology? Uh, is our, you know, how do we hire five more interaction designers on our team? And those are all important things, right? But they tend to, to like when they're having normal conversations with their team, they're not actually talking about, but wait a second, we're in the middle of this project. What's this user experience likely going to be, right? Are we specifying a good user experience, right? Are we able to deliver that user experience? And, and how does this user experience fit into our, perhaps our marketing strategy and some other things, right? So what I, what I find I can also, I can often help my clients with is like, oh, wait a second here. Let's focus on the user experience for a while. What is that actual user experience going to be? Um, and again, sometimes that means introducing some of the psychology around it. So like people like Susan Weinshank, right? If you read her books and you listen to her talk, she's talking about, you know, uh, scientists are putting people inside um, MR, you know, they're, they're measuring their brain waves and so on, and they're figuring out how people make decisions. And that gives us insights into, oh, if I design this kind of experience, people will remember it more. They'll have positive memories of it because I'm putting the good stuff at the end of the experience, right? If right in the real world, like there's going to be some bad parts of the experience and some good ones. If you put the good ones at the end, people tend to remember the end and they tend to forget the beginning a little bit more. So like, yes. Oh, right. So in a non-perfect world, I know I'm going to have some crap here somewhere. Well, let's, let's, let's not, let's not put all the crap at the end. Right. So, again, <laughs> right. So, 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 so that gets us, you know, again, it gets us outside of our own heads. It gets us talking, you know, from the customers or from the user's perspective, but then it also lets us introduce some of these psychological principles. Um, because otherwise, if we just say like, you know, here's some psychology, apply it. It's like, well, what does that mean? How, do, how does that actually, how does that actually matter? So, so again, I think we, we need to spend more time talking about that aspect of user experience. In addition to the, the teams that we're on, the methods that we use, the, the processes that we follow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Topic number two, users as customers, the article in the CSM blog. Right. And so this is sort of extending that one. Cause again, I'm, if, if you've only worked for companies and your projects have always been for customers, right? You work for a bank and you're working on the website or the app um, or even the, 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 the phone system that people call into, you know, where customers call into it, right? Then if, if, if that's all you've ever done, then to you, user experience and customer experience are one and the same, right? You've, you've worked for a company yep, and yep. Your, your focus is customers. That's great, right? I've been lucky enough that I've had some of those projects, but I've also, to be honest, most of my projects are working for a company, but the employee is the user, Right. So I'm making the internet easier to use. Uh, we're, we're working on productivity tools, right. That, that the people in the bank use to approve loans and everything, right. There's a 20 step process. So I'm working with the bank to turn that 20 step process, perhaps into a five step process. That's actually based on user needs, as opposed to what the business hopes is, is, is what users, how they work. Right. So when I'm working, you know, I, I, I could be working with the IT folks or I could be like working with HR. Right. So if I'm working on a project with HR and we're focused on um, uh, employee retention, right. I can't say that I'm doing, I'm a customer experience person because they get all confused because customer experience is that thing that happens <laughs> over marketing. Right. right so, right. so I have to be careful about my words. Now, do I use the same principles? 
the same user experience principles for customer experience and employee experience. Many of them are the same. Some of yes. them are a little right. Some of them are a little <laughs> bit different. Um, mm -hmm. Often, yep. you know, when, when I when I work with, like some agencies that used to doing customer stuff, they're really good at marketing and selling. Then when you try to do that same thing inside of a company, right? You can you can you can sort of piss your employees off if you try to sell a little bit too hard, right? Because, you know, it's like ah, but some of the concepts work where you're like you could it will help them find related information, right? So so there's some principles that are the same and some that are a little bit different. And then, um, and so that's sort of like fine tuning, fine tuning that definition because often somebody will say customer experience in a very general way. And they're, you know, they're talking like, hey, the state of Michigan needs to have better customer experience for people when they apply for unemployment. Okay. In a general term, I could say that's true, but when I actually have done projects with the state of Michigan, it's like, we didn't say customer experience. We said like citizen experience or resident experience because those, <laughs> right, right, that that wow. helps you get focused more in, right? Because yeah, yeah. again, like, again, it's like, if you wanna help empathize, you gotta have a more precise term that says, we're building systems for the citizens of Michigan, right? And that that is like, the, the vibe, you know, in the government is very different than if you just say, look, these are just customers and they can buy it or not buy it. Well, you know, when you're providing unemployment insurance, that, you know, that philosophy doesn't quite work. Right? Yes. Yes. So, so I, again, it's just fine tuning your language around it. And sometimes people say customer experience in general, but I usually tend to, tend to be more specific. It says, are we designing somebody this for somebody who's going to buy from us, right? Okay, now there's a whole lot of psychology around buying that I can use, right? But I can't use that psychology of buying when I'm working for residents who are uh, applying for unemployment, for example. Um, and then, you know, likewise, if I'm working for a healthcare system, it's often the patient experience or the doctor experience or the nurse experience. So again, just be precise in your terms. Um, and then just sort of since they've been in the news, if you think of a company like Facebook, right? Um, you and I aren't actually customers of Facebook. We're users of the Facebook platform, but we're not customers probably because who are their customers? Their customers are the advertisers, right? Yes, and so, yes. Right, right. And so you can see, <laughs> right, right. Facebook has a certain kind of user experience because it has customers and users that are very different, have very different goals, right? And so again, that's just fine tuning your, fine -tuning your language um, in those different situations. Absolutely. You just made me think of how for years we've been having conversations like this in general, philosophical conversations, I guess it basically becomes, and, and, and the common thread in all those things is experience design. And I know people that said they just want to be known as an experience designer. Right. And then they just, that way it gives them, they feel more flexibility in their communication across different, different projects. Yeah. But, but you are so right. It, it is when you can, identify who it is you're designing for and weave that into your communication. It right. does help you pinpoint right. your operation a bit more. That is, that is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. wonderful. yeah. Yeah. So again, just part of sort of getting the whole organization on board as using the right terms and the right framing um, and, and so on. So, you know, those, those words, those words matter. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Topic number three. Spins on UX broadly, all the ways people are talking about confusingly uh, about UX. <laughs> right. So, so yeah. So I I actually had a plan for the 
the summer of 2020, I was going to go on the road to all the Midwest meetup groups and do a talk, right? And so I developed this talk about the different spins to just trigger the conversations. That became to a bunch of remote talks, right? Um, um, I, yeah. I did do I did do one in Akron in person, and then the rest of them fell apart. Um, but the idea was, <laughs> right? Um, I spent many months sort of documenting what the conversations I saw on Twitter, on Facebook, and lots of other places. And I kept finding trends where, like, one person would say, you know, UX, uh, everybody in our company needs is needs to know UX. Okay. And then somebody else would say, no, I, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a trained expert. I should be the one doing UX. Right. And so, um, and, and here's the process that we use. Right. And so I noticed that there were a lot of confusing discussions because somebody would like ask a question about process and somebody else would answer it like about skills. Right. So the question might be like, like what five steps should I follow to make sure that, that we're specifying a good user experience and somebody else comes along and says empathy. Right. And so it's like, but wait, right. You know, <laughs> right. So, so, you know, empathy might be, you know, again, so we can talk about that one is, is empathy a step or is empathy something that's one of your inherent skills that you carry with you on all of the steps. Right. So just, so just teasing things apart into um, these different things. So what I found was, as I was talking to folks, like one of these key differences is, the difference between a process and a, and a method, right? So again, if you're just learning UX, you probably learn something like usability testing, and you learn that you you use that to make your designs better, right? You you test with three to four people, three to five people. That's what the research says to make your design better. You do that a couple of times, and then you're done, right? But Darren, you and I, we've been doing this for a while. We know that usability testing is a method. You can do that at many many points in the process, right? Yes. You could yes. you could you could do a usability test on day one with your current product and all of your competitors, right? Before you've ever even designed anything, right? Um, mm -hmm. When I was when I was at IBM, I did a lot of usability testings at the end of the process because we wanted to make sure, like, you know, we were gonna launch something and if it sucked, it could cost IBM a million dollars, right? And right, so, right. right, right. So we did usability testing at the end that said, you know, Keith, are you signing off that this thing is okay to launch? But, you know, and so we would do a usability test and we would say like, hey, we, you know, we had, and in that case, we did a lot more than three to four. We might do like 50 people with very specific tasks. We say we had 50 people and 48 out of 50 could complete these key tasks that they need in order to buy an IBM product or sign up for a service. We're pretty confident that this is going to provide the ROI that we promised, right? And, yes, yes. Right. And other times I've helped clients do a usability test. All that really mattered is that we recorded it. And we made all the executives watch it and see how everybody struggled and then good things happened. Right. So, you know, the, the point of the usability test wasn't actually to make the design better. The point was to, to get people to see that there's a problem. So, right. So, so again, so teasing apart user experience as a process versus all these methods that we use uh, most beginners just sort of mush that together. But as you, as you tease it apart, then you, you get better at your practice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Um, and then I've got some other spins that are, you know, once there's a collection of them on an individual on how they specify user experience, but there's a whole nother things around teams and strategy and organizational mindsets that that's like a whole nother category of things. Right. Um, and then I've got another category, which are just around as a profession, right? Somebody might say, what do I, what do I need to do to be a good 
UXer and they're thinking of like what method or process I could use. And somebody says, you need to go to, you need to go to school and get certified or something. I was like, Oh, right. You've just switched. They just want to know what they can do next week. And you're, you're answering what they need to do in the next five years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so I was like, like that was a pretty crappy answer. Sorry. That's, you know, you know, it didn't help. Right. But but we need to have those conversations about certification, about our profession, about how do we raise the quality of our practice. We need to have those too. We just may not want to mix it in with all those people that are just trying to survive next week. Right. Exactly. exactly. You made me think about what I'm talking about right now in the series. Right. You know, uh, people think about, you know, I, I always use the, the one example because I think it's funny. I want to be a doctor. And then as soon as they see blood, they're on the floor. (laughs) Then then your desire to be a doctor doesn't really work. Uh, And so I spent the first three weeks on the series talking about character traits that, that play into somebody being good at doing any aspect of UX. Uh, So many people reading these have been reading these articles over the years, and then they jump on board because they think UX is really easy and doesn't, doesn't take any effort. They right. think that anybody can do it, no matter what your makeup is, and they think that you can get up to speed quickly, as the boot camps will say, you can learn it in six months. And all of those concepts are false, but these people are coming in in droves, right. and then they're getting a rude awakening because they find out they're either not ready or or that they need to do something they didn't plan for. So it, sure. so the, there's the traits, then there's the work, and I'm on the work now. I'm covering different types of deliverables. Are you sure you want to do a task analysis? Are you sure you want to get into creating data-driven personas? Are you really sure you want to do usability testing? And I love that you brought that up from the perspective that the people talk about, oh, I did some research. Did you really? Um, Because just, I've seen people. Oh, I talked to some people. We talked about this on Debbie's show the other day. Yeah. Yeah, but what did you ask those people? How, How was your research structured? And you just mentioned what, Technically, we refer to as formative and summative yes, types of right. research, yep. Yep. and then people they don't they don't know, and, and they don't have to know that it's called formative or summative. They need to just understand the concept. You, you get the terms right. later; that's fine. But right. are you trying to validate the design up front? Are you trying to see what the low hanging fruit is, and then go from one point to another, or are or, and at the end are you trying to validate it to make sure that you've done everything properly and that it's going to work? And because people just use research as a buzzword now. Right, right. Just throw it out there. <laughs> right, right. And so, right. So a lot of that is right. Every time somebody uses an, an unclear term like research or design, right, there's lots of those. Then, then I usually end up and, and just trying to help people get into practice. Like, tell me what you mean by that term. So at least yes, for the next, yes. for the, for the next hour, we can make some progress. Otherwise, again, I've been in lots of meetings where the hour ended and it's like, we made no progress because Again, half the meeting was one interpretation of the word of research, a really general one, and the other one was very precise, right? So again, with with some clients, like that's the first part of the project is just getting everybody on on board because every company's different. Um, you know, wh- one company I worked with a while ago, you know, they were actually like very scientific researchers, so they wouldn't let us UX people. They wouldn't let us UX folks call anything that we did research, right? Because it wasn't scientific enough. Okay, <laughs> right? So we, we still did our qualitative stuff. We just called it something else, right? And that right. helped us get something done in that project. So again, if, if you're just learning it through the book, then that stuff isn't obvious. If you've only done it once or twice, then you know, you're naturally gonna think of that that one way that you've done it is the only way. And so 
as you get more experience, exactly. you start to start to do it. <laughs> and again, it's just sort of, you know, opening people's eyes of like, cool, right now you've only done one type of usability testing. Someday, hopefully you'll do six different types. And these are some of the other ones. And, um, you know, keep an eye out for it. You know, the, um, for one person I'm mentoring, um, I'm always giving her advice like, oh, the, the, the next time your manager uses this one little keyword, like, we, you know, we need to validate it or whatever, right? And then it's like, oh, once they use the word validate, that's when you can pull in some extra methods, right? Exactly. Right. Right. And so, <laughs> right. So, you know, but, but, but if you just throw that stuff at them and they're not ready, then it's not going to work. Right. So it's just matching up you know, when is your team, when is your organization ready? And then pulling that right tool out of the box, that method, using it at the right time, putting it away when it's not. And again, just because you learned journey maps in class, doesn't mean you, you actually should do, you know, that doesn't mean you do journey maps all the time, right? It means, exactly. you, do, it means you do journey <laughs> maps when journey maps make sense. Yes. And when you have time. <laughs> right. And right. And so there's the, right. There's lots of those other constraints because again, right. One, you know, if you only have time to do one quick design activity, which one should it be? Right. Exactly. Yes. So, yes. So, Absolutely. so yes. And so again, so just part of my, my spins presentation was really literally, I mean, I had a, I had a 12 year old help me write some code to actually create a little wheel of fortune that spins. And so for some of my talks, we'll just spin it. And we'll just have a random conversation because that's, that's, you know, a lot of what we do is like, I might as well just spin the spinner because I have no idea, you know, <laughs> when, when, when you say process, I have no idea what you actually mean. So we might as well just spin a spinner, right? So, <laughs> yes, sir. Absolutely. So, make it a little bit fun. Yeah. Topic number four, we're in the home stretch. Communities for UX aficionados, practitioners, professionals. Right. So, so I've been studying these different communities that pop up and often they're a Slack group, the Facebook group, but it's, it could also be a meetup group that, you know, that we're meeting in person and now they're, now they're meeting virtually. And so what I've discovered is there's sort of three general categories of people. It's, it's not, um, you know, clear cut, but there's definitely a whole lot of folks out there that I'm calling aficionados because they're really interested in user experience, right? They've, they've figured out what it is and it could be because it looks like a really fun job to have someday. Right. Um, so they're sort of early in their thing. And, you know, you know, when the, you know, the high school, you know, somehow they found out that they even exist because their high school counselor isn't going to tell them they're going to tell them it's a doctor lawyer kind of stuff, but they, you know, they figured out that they like technology and there's people that can, you know, that, that can get paid to help make it happen. Okay. So there's a lot of aficionados like that, but there's also people that are, there's their career switchers, right? It's like, ah, right. You know, I've been doing, who knows what for 10 years and it's not my favorite cup of tea. Um, I've talked to a couple of people that are like, they have PhDs in various things and they're looking like, Hey, you know, a, a, a career in UX might be kind of fun, right? Because, you know, I just don't want to be in academia anymore. Um, but it's also people like project managers, all of the, all the people that we work with on a day-to-day -day basis, software developers, there's like, yeah, I, I'm not going to be a UX person full-time, but the more I know about it, the more I can be a better software developer or a project manager or a product designer or a better marketing person, right? And so on. So these folks have been like getting together in different cities and you'll, you'll find like in Calgary, right? There's a meetup group in Calgary. And when they wrote their chart of charter, like this is for anybody that lives in Calgary that is interested in user experience and wants to just talk about it. Right. And so mm -hmm. those are, those are, you know, very valuable things. 
you know, I've popped into a few of them. You know, I tend to not learn very much, but it is fun listening. But again, they're covering very introductory topics, sort of crossover topics. And usually the, the, the top topic is how do I get my first job in UX, right? That usually happens in these sort of these type of communities. Um, and so there's a lot of like helping people with their portfolio. Right. Um, so that's one group. Then the, the next sort of group I'm calling the practitioners. These are people that have a job in user experience. Maybe they're just been doing it for a couple of years and they're really focused on those activities that we just talked about. The, what process should I do? What methods should I get good at? And they're really trying to build up a competency. Right. So the, I'd say the first group, they're like really curious about it. This next group, they're trying to build up a competency about it. They're just trying to mm -hmm. survive in their job and keep their job. Right. And so for them, it's often still just a job that they're doing. Right. But they're really focused on that. So they tend to like want to go to conferences. They want to take courses. Right. That They're willing to invest a little bit of money in their job to be good at it. Certainly, what book should I read? A lot of self-taught things. Um, some folks, right, after they do that for a couple of years, then they start thinking about whether they want to go back to school or not, right? But but for some folks, it's just a job, and they, they do UX for three or four years, and then they move on to a different job, right? They're, practi they're practicing it now, but they go to start a business. They become, they, they become a product designer. They could go into, you know, there's lots of career paths that you could go in after doing UX for four or five years. Right. Um, but it's not, but you're not necessarily thinking of it as your career. And so then right. that's the, the third category that I'd call like the professionals, the probably like you and me is like, okay, I've committed to it. This is a career. This is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. And I don't want to just do a usability test, but I want to do it really, really well. And I'm actually okay with like reading the journal of usability studies to understand <laughs> that like, like, you know, in, you know, folks have done research around the right way and the wrong way to do, you know, different ways to do usability so that when I'm doing one of these methods, I can actually have some confidence that there's some science behind it as well. Right. Yes. yes. Um, so I'd call those professional communities. There's not quite as many of us, but those are folks that are committed to really taking it up a notch. Often they then get like promoted into management positions. So then, you know, they, they want to worry about like, how do I have this, you know, how do I run a team of a hundred people? and so on. And so those are those kind of the education on that one is often you can't get that out of a book. You just have to hang out with other people that are trying to run a team of 100 people, yes, right? Yes, right? Yes, yes. And right. And so you you have to design a a group differently. Right? The group dynamics are different for there. You just don't have a bunch of talking heads as presenters every month. You tend to break break people up into different groups or you know a professional community might be like, "Oh, I'm in I'm in healthcare industry," right? So it might make sense for you to hang out with other folks in the healthcare industry just so that you can get into deep things that are specific to your industry, right? And then another topic often in there is the things like certification and education and those sort of folks want to know like, well, who's teaching what at different universities because I'm either going to be hiring them or I just want to know, you know, like what research is coming out of the different academic institutions. So usually then in the professional communities, you get a little bit more connection to academia, right? Whereas in the first two communities, not so much, right? They're, they're like, it doesn't really matter. Right, if, right. If, if, somebody right. did re if somebody does research on one of our methods, doesn't matter because I don't even know what the method is. Well, you know, what, what, what is the research about it, right? Um, and so, but again, and, and there's a lot of fluidity. So when you look at some, you know, some, a lot of local groups are sort of half and half. So for Michigan UXPA, where you've been, you know, we, we want to focus more on the professional community. And so we've been trying to do some things for that one, but we're also supporting things like the Detroit UX 
meetup group that's serving right. those other communities, right? There's um there's an IXDA chapter in Grand Rapids, so we support them. And there's a woman that's trying to start an IXDA chapter in Detroit when we don't have one right now. It sort of died off. So again, as Michigan UXPA, we want all of those communities of aficionados that are curious about it. We want the practitioner communities to thrive. And then we also want the professional communities to thrive. So trying to support different things to sort of make that whole ecosystem of communities work together, right? And not force somebody to say, oh, I happen to join IXDA. I, you know, I don't like the AIG, but why should I hang out with AIGA? They're graphic designers. Well, wait, there's some good things happening in the AIGA community. They, right, they, right, they, they right. bring value to it as well. And then similarly, like, hey, we have all these customer, you know, the customer experience of Michigan group. You know, when we when we talked to Tom first, it's like, you know, we, we hit it off and it's like, why would we ever not do anything together? Right. Right. Because right. you know, <laughs> such, such common goals. Right. And so when they had the conference that we were at, like you and I were there to talk about user experience and we 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 encouraged many of our user experience colleagues to attend and learn, you know, learn about some of this customer experience stuff. Right. As opposed to us just staying in our little UX bubble and saying six, P six people are different. I don't want to learn anything from them. Yeah, and then the CX tip. I, I was. I don't know if I was one of the first CX practitioners yep. amongst the UXers in in, yep. in the Metro Detroit area, and so I I was just excited about doing UX from a CX perspective, being more holistic. I call it bookends now because uh, you CX is bookends to UX because it extends on the front end and on the back end much further. So I'm excited, and I told everybody about it, and everybody told me to get lost. Right. Like, nothing against anybody, but everybody told me to get lost. Right. What are you talking about? We're not interested. Now people are the heads of CX, and right. so I just said, "Okay, you got there. I'll just, right. I'll just, I'll just fade back into the bushes over here and won't worry about what I told you five years ago." But uh, it's just one of those things—the the penalty of being a, a visionary, I guess. I don't know, but yeah, but, yeah, yeah. And again, there's gonna there's gonna be little turf battles here and there, but for the for the greater good, it's like okay, let's you know if we're gonna argue about it over here, let's do it in private, but then let's collaborate with some other folks over here. So again, you know, talking to the technical communicators in Michigan, and again, you know, there's there's a great design community in Detroit, and they're focused on interior design and graphic design and urban design and automotive design and lots of Wonderful. other types of design, right? Wonderful. And it's like, so I'm just yeah. like, hey, can all of us so-called digital designers or whatever you want to call it, can we hang out with you? And of course they, they love us there. And I've gone, you know, again, when we could do things in person, I would go to the events and I would hang out and I'd meet a, uh, somebody who was a fabric designer, right? So I would, again, have a beer with a fabric designer and learn what fabric design is about. Did I apply it the next day to work? No, I did not. But, you know, again, who knows one of my future projects might be, you know, a user experience project for smart fabric, right? Um, you know, that, that, that tends to be what they call it. You have a smart fabric or a smart building or a smart device. And that's when we're going to, you know, we're probably going to be working with these people someday anyway so we might as well get to know them absolutely a, uh, as a community perspective now so that'll be easier so great great stuff that brings us to our close special event by the way you guys when we do interviews we're extending beyond our normal uh time limitations this is just great a lot of fantastic stuff and i'm sure people are going to listen to this over and over again because there's a lot to be digested and a lot to put on our to-do list uh in wrapping up today we want to connect the dots on elevating the UX profession. I think all these things are connected. What are your, what are your closing statements for the audience today, Keith? 
yeah, that's just sort of just a, a way to think about it. I know everybody sort of got their own perspective. For some folks, this is a brand new thing. And, you know, um, you can't really think about long term what the profession is. But if, if you're just sort of getting interested in, in it, knowing that to you, it might be brand new, but depending on how you do history, right? Like this, you know, we've been doing this for a while, right? Even if you just limit it to if, if you just limited the software, we've been doing it for 50 some years, right? So just, just knowing that you're, that you're going to be joining something for you, it might be just your first job, but it is part of a profession. It's not, you know, it hasn't been around as long as doctors and lawyers and other things where it's easier to sort of, you know, understand that history. Um, we definitely don't have things formalized as much, right? So like if, if you want to be a lawyer, there's, there's the roadmap and you can follow it and there's certain rules you have to follow, right? Some people could say that's, that's one of our flaws that we, you know, there's not a clear path into the profession and other people think it's just wonderful, right? Because that means that if, if you're good, you know, you can figure it out, right? So, but, but finding some sort of balance, right? The balance between if, if we're just completely open and anybody can do it, then it's going to be hard to judge quality and some bad things could happen, right? Some bad things could happen, but we also definitely don't want to over-regulate things. And I mean, that's what's wrong with a lot of these older professions. They're over-regulated and, you know, they just don't have enough people joining them. It takes too long. You know, I've, I've talked to people that are like, we're on the path to be building architects and they, they passed yeah, all the hurdles yeah. they, they, you know, they, they, they were building architect for a couple of years and they just didn't like it. Right. They just didn't like the way the profession was st structured. And it's like, cool, jump on over to UX, right? You've already got this much <laughs> right. If, 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 if you're already a practicing architect, here's the five extra things you need to be a good UXer. If you're already a practicing graphic designer, I got five different things for you, but you could join in, right? If you've yes, got a background, yes. right? Right. If, if you've got a background as a medical doctor, but you want to get into UX in the medical profession, I got some stuff for you to learn. And again, you, you might be the best UXer ever in a medical profession if you've already, if you've already been a practicing doctor for 10 years, right? So... Uh, again, but it's thinking about all these different pathways and thinking about it as a profession, right? Sometimes we just want to think about it as a process and we just do it and we make our money and we get out of there. But some of us need to be thinking about it as a profession or else we're never going to get out of that circle of just of just doing what the business tells us to do. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Okay, folks, for our extended, -ish, uh, uh, extended edition today, we have finally come to a close I want to thank you again, Keith, for coming on the show, for sharing your thoughts and, and giving people, again, a lot to think about. And for those of us, when we, we're serious about what we do, we love what we're doing. These are the types of things we need to take into consideration to help shape us as individuals. And it will help us all get on the same page, which is something that does take effort and something that's much needed in, in our personal practices today, as well as for the discipline and the profession as a whole. So. Again, thanks again, Keith. And so, again, folks, we're out of time. So this is your host, Darren Hood on the World of UX. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.